Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, your home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Now here's your host, Chad Dotson. Hello everyone, welcome back to Red Leg Nation Radio. This is episode number 179 of this podcast about the Cincinnati Reds. Joining me again this week, for the second week in a row, my good buddy uh, from RedsMinorLeagues.com, Doug Gray. How are you today, Doug? I'm pretty good, Chad. I just, uh, like you did, just finished watching the Reds game. And, yeah, I mean, you're going to blow a 9 nothing lead. That's never fun, but uh, they, they pulled out the win, and, oh, man, it was it was fun to watch. <laughs> it was, and we are, as you've detected, we're recording this just after the uh, Thursday afternoon game against the Cubs. And that was just sort of a wild series. The Reds really could have won three out of four, but today you're up 9 to nothing in the second inning. You know, Philip Irvin, who we'll talk about more in a moment, and uh, Eugenio Suarez get two hits each in the second inning. It looks like a laugher. And all it, all of a sudden, uh, after Feldman, Scott Feldman and Michael Lorenzen got through with it, it was 9-9. to And uh, <laughs> everyone in Redsland was a little bit worried. So, But the Reds won, thanks to a two-run home run by Philip Irvin uh, later in the game. Uh, ultimately, that was the margin of victory. And... Let's just go ahead and jump into the question of Philip Irvin, of course. Philip uh, was drafted in the first round of the 2013 draft by the Reds out of Samford University down there in Alabama. And uh, an interesting sort of up-and-down minor league career in some ways. What are your thoughts about Philip Irvin? And the question that I want to ask you is, is this someone, because, you know, he had his first home run last night, not today, uh, three hits, single-double home run. Looks fantastic. Uh, scored from second on an infield hit, so he's got some speed. Is this a guy that should be in the mix when we're talking about who's going to be in the Reds' outfield for the next uh, you know, two, three, four years? I think so, if we're talking about someone playing center field that's not named Billy Hamilton. Watch, watch where you're going here, Billy. Uh, uh, Doug, you know what I think about uh, Billy? Uh, and, and don't get me wrong. I, I'm not saying that we absolutely should be saying he should be playing over Billy Hamilton. But at the same time, I'm not sure that we shouldn't be at least – you know, considering the possibility that maybe Billy Hamilton shouldn't be the everyday guy. Um, you know, defensively, Philip Irvin is not in Billy Hamilton's category, but there, there's two other guys on the planet that are even remotely close to Billy Hamilton defensively. Um, but I, I think that we've all seen that Billy Hamilton is not a very good offensive player. Uh, we've been we've been waiting for him to quote unquote figure it out with the bat for a couple a couple of years now. We've we've seen a few stretches where it looks like, you know, maybe he's figured it out, but you know, those stretches have ended, um, you know, after maybe a month or so. Um, I, I'm just not sure that he is going to, uh, ever really figure it out and be a consistently solid average hitter. Um, and I, I think there's a chance that Philip Irvin could be that guy. And while I, I don't think that he's going to be a good defensive center fielder, uh, the Reds have had worse center fielders in, in the last couple of years, um, you know, he, he's definitely going to be better than Shinsu Chu was out there in center field. Now, granted, Chu hit a lot better than I think Irvin will. But uh, if you can live with that kind of defense, you, you can definitely live with what Philip Irvin's going to bring you in center field, which will definitely be a lot better than that. So, Well, okay, yes. Um, Irvin, though, in, in Louisville this year, I'm going to sort of set this one on a tee for you. 256 average, 328 on base percentage, 380 slugging percentage, 20 doubles, 7 home runs. Not a Not a great slash line. Doug, but you say there is a, there is a mitigating factor. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. You know, we'll, we'll actually go back to last season. I think that there's some interesting things going on statistically with, with Philip Urban's minor league stat line. Um, last year, he played in Pensacola all year. Now, Pensacola used to be a very hitter-friendly baseball field, uh, but they took over uh, as the home stadium for a college football team, which meant they had to move their fences back, and it has turned into a very pitcher-friendly stadium. Uh, Philip Urban had enormous splits last year on the road versus at home. Um, at, at home, he, he really struggled. You put him on the road, he OPSed, I, I want to say it was over 860. Um, I mean, he it was definitely a very good hitter on the road last year. Now, we move forward this year. As you said, overall, the numbers don't look good in Louisville. Louisville's been a pitcher-friendly stadium the past couple of years. Um, but if you look at what Philip Urban has done month by month, May was absolutely brutally terrible. He hit 176, 231, 200 in the month of May. I mean, that's incredibly bad. It, it's hard to be that bad if you're trying. Uh, but, you know, I, this does not count the the final plate appearance from today's game for Philip Urban. But every other at-bat plate appearance he's had this year, except for May, he's hitting 287, 363, 462. And he's, you know, he's got enough speed to steal you 25 to 30 bases in the major leagues. I mean, that that sounds like a guy maybe you want to give a shot to if you're having problems in center field, right? I mean, I'm not saying hand him the job, but, you know, maybe find a way to play him more than, you know, one and a half times over the entire course of the season. Well, I think uh, a couple things about that. Yes, it's very interesting when you when you pull the numbers out like that. On the other hand, you can't just forget about May. Those, those at-bats happened. And... Uh, you know, I look at his minor league career, and I don't really see any eye-popping offensive seasons. But I tell you what, I do see some pretty good uh, on-base percentages, at least relative to his batting average. Uh, looks like a fairly decent, uh, not afraid to take a walk, decent command of the strike zone. Just uh, I don't know if his hit tool is not great or what, but uh, batting averages are low. But I see a guy that can get on base and uh, showed a little bit of pop as well. Um, you know, I yeah. Get... Well, I think when it comes to the batting average, I mean, there's definitely a concern there. Uh, he, for the most part of his career, has been a, an extreme pull happy hitter, and and I think that's definitely worked against him. It makes him easier to defend. Um, but uh, over the last three months, he, he's really worked with the Lino to Shields and Jody Davis and AAA, and he started going the other way a lot more. Um, prior to two months ago, in his entire minor league career, he had one home run. It was hit to the right of dead center field. He's hit three since then. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, no one's going to confuse him with Joey Votto in terms of, you know, using the entire field, but it is something that he's really been working on and you're really starting to see it. Um, I mean, you haven't seen it in the major leagues, but uh, as somebody who's watched him play almost every day in triple a, and I'm sure that Jason can, can chime in on that a little bit more. um, If you want to ask him about it next time he's on, because he's down there uh, quite a bit as well. Um, you know, you, you do see him making that adjustment. And I think that, you know, that that's something that he did need to do. Um, we'll see how it works out, but I think that he's definitely taking steps in the right direction. Uh, and hopefully that will be something that'll help him hit for a higher average than we've seen in the past, uh, where, you know, I, I do think that he pulled it way too much and it made him very easy to defend, which in the long run did, you know, mitigate some of his hit tool. Okay, so you talk about him versus Billy Hamilton, and you're right. No one's going to uh, suggesting that they just take the job away from Billy and hand it to Philip Irvin. Just hey, should we maybe 
give him an opportunity to compete for it. And I think he should have an opportunity to compete for it. I guess my, my – and I'm a biased about Billy, certainly. Uh, I have come around a little bit. I thought Billy was going to take a big uh, step forward this year after what we saw last year where he had a – he had pretty much a league average on base percentage last year as a, in his age 25 season. I thought, here we go, age 26, uh, maybe he'll take continue to take another step forward, and if he did that offensively, he'd be a positive contributor on the offensive side combined with the defense and the base run, which is elite. Uh, two, two comments, though, about him versus Philip Irvin. Number one, uh, can Philip Irvin hit enough relative to what Billy Hamilton produces at the plate to make up for the difference in defense. Because although Philip Herman could be a decent defensive player, he's not going to be Billy Hamilton. So there is going to be some drop-off there. That's the first question. The other question is this. Um, I look at Billy Hamilton's minor league numbers, and they look to me like to be better than Philip Herman's minor league numbers even. Uh, so, you know, why should why should we think that Philip Irvin's going to improve when Billy Hamilton hasn't. Does that make any sense? I don't know. Uh, it, may, it makes tons of sense. I, I understand exactly what you were trying to say there. Um, I, I guess I would counter with a few things. First off, we would probably need to figure out what the baseline would need to do, what, what would it need to be as far as hitting-wise for Philip Irvin to overtake Billy Hamilton. Because as you said, you know, the defense, there's a huge gap there because Billy Hamilton is just incredible. Um, and while I think that Philip Irvin's a great base runner, he's not Billy Hamilton where, again – Billy Hamilton is just on a different level base running wise than other players are. Um, so I, we, we have to factor that in. Would, um, what, let me, would Irvin be an, uh, a solidly above average defensive center fielder, you think? No, no, I do not. I, I'd probably rate him average, maybe fringe average center mm-hmm. fielder. Um, he's a plus runner, but pretty much every center fielder is a plus runner. You, it's, it's just, it's a requisite to be a center fielder. Um, but I, I don't think he's going to kill you out there, but he's probably not going to stand out at all either. Um, I, I definitely think that he can handle the position, though. Okay, so uh, so then he's probably going to have to hit a good bit better than Billy. To yes, uh, not that it's going to be that difficult to hit better than Billy Hamilton has, but in order to justify having him out there. Yeah. Now the other part is, while you're right that I, I do think that Billy Hamilton's numbers in the minor leagues do look at least similar to Philip Urban's, I, I think that the big difference is, is we look at something that happened in AAA. Billy Hamilton, granted, Hamilton was much younger when he was in AAA than Philip Irvin is this year. Uh, Billy was there when he was 22 years old. But Billy Hamilton walked 38 times in 102 strikeouts, and that came with a 308 on base percentage and a 343 slugging percentage. That's pretty much what Billy Hamilton is now. Yeah, I true. mean, he, 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 he's a 300 to 320 on base percentage guy with no power. Um, you know, if you look at Philip Irvin, you know, he's not a small, frail guy like Billy Hamilton is. There's power in that bat. It hasn't quite shown up as much as maybe we thought it would have when he was coming out of the draft. But, you know, if Philip Irvin goes out there and hits 35 doubles and 15 home runs, nobody's going to be like, where did this come from? Like, you can see that happening for him. Um, where, I, I, you know, nobody was really thinking anything like that was going to happen for Billy Hamilton. So I think that's where you're going to see, you know, potential growth um, for Philip Irvin versus, you know, Billy Hamilton not exactly developing versus what he was in the minor leagues. Yeah, power and, uh, and more of an on-base skill. Uh, it's it's surprisingly to me it's not a uh, it's a close call it's not an easy decision to make there because uh, and maybe I'm just the last two games I'm judging him because the last two games he looked like a Hall of Famer but I don't know Philip Urban look uh, he's athletic uh, he has the pedigree uh, first round pick uh, I, I think that when you look at the ages and you did mention that that's something that I don't know really know how to how to evaluate but it's a fact that uh, Billy Hamilton was two years younger 
at AAA. But you're right, his numbers at AAA are roughly what he's putting up now. It can, uh, if uh, Irvin can be the same guy in the majors that he is now at Louisville, ultimately, I don't know. That's a that's a decent center fielder. Yeah, and I'll be honest. If if Philip Irvin took his AAA numbers that he has right now, uh, in, including his bad May. I, I don't think that would be enough to, to take over the job from Millie Hamilton and be, and be as valuable. Right. I, I think that it definitely needs to be a higher bar than a 710 OPS, which is roughly what he's got right now in AAA. But if we can push that up to, let's say, 740, I mean, that, that's a 100-point difference in OPS. Is that going to be enough to make up for the defense and base running? I, I think that if we get there, we're, we really need to have a conversation. Yeah, it's a conversation. Some of the Reds' internal metrics may show. Yeah, I mean, it's it's – the fact that it's even in the conversation means it's something the Reds have to consider. And it's going to be interesting to see uh, what Irvin does. I mean, he's likely to be in the majors the rest of this year, I would guess. Maybe he goes back, goes away when uh, Shevler's back. I don't know. Um, I would not be surprised if they try to give him uh, an at-bat or two the rest of the way since September's right around the corner. Um, so I don't know. Uh, and then next spring, uh, Billy is just not making it easy for anyone. If Billy would just – had just even if he just kept – his you know his offensive line at what it was last year. I mean he's taking a step backwards. If, if it were just last year's numbers, Billy would uh, it'd be tough to unseat him. You could sort of see the value, uh, but you know 300 on base percentage is just not going to cut it. Uh, it's just I mean the OPS plus 65. I mean it's just, that's just a it's a step back. So I don't know. It, We've been talking about Jesse Winker and Scott Shevler and Adam Duvall and, and Billy Hamilton. Who's going to be the outfield? Maybe time to put somebody else in, in that mix, uh, huh? Yeah, and, you know, I, I get this a lot, um, especially when Jesse Winker was in AAA hitting fairly well. You know, everybody wanted to push Scott Shevler over to center field uh, to make room for Jesse Winker. Uh, it, it may just be me, but I, I, I just don't see Scott Shevler being in the center field mix. I, I know that, you know, Brian Price has played him there, you know, twice a year every so often over the last two years. But, you know, that he, I just don't think he's fast enough to play center field. Um, so I, I think that if the Reds are going to look for another center field, at least in the near-term future, that it, it's going to be Billy Hamilton or Philip Urban. Yeah, and I've heard that a lot, too, in terms of uh, Shevler being able to play center field because uh, he can certainly, you would think, he's going to be able to produce with the bat uh, way more than Billy Hamilton. Is it going to be enough to justify the defense? Maybe even enough to justify that what you're giving away defensively when you just look at sheer numbers and uh, wins above replacement, et cetera. But, man, if you get an outfield of uh, Duvall, Shebler, and Winker, uh, that's that's going to be an ugly outfield. I mean, that's not going to be a good outfield. Winker, at his best, could, could maybe be average. Uh, Shebler has very little arm, and he's, and he's a good athlete, but he's not going to be able to cover uh, space in center field like your average major league center fielder. It starts to look like a, a very poor defensive outfield, whereas with Billy, you can put almost anyone in right field and combine Billy with Adam Duvall, and it's a pretty good defensive outfield. Yeah, it, it, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, but um, yeah, I, I'm kind of with you. I think they need to probably find a few more starts for Philip Urban in center field, especially with September right around the corner, uh, you know, expanded rosters, you know, Billy Hamilton's never really stayed healthy for a full season either. Or, well, I guess he did one season. But, um, you know, with the way that he plays the game, giving him an off day every every so often, maybe once or twice a week in September, just to see what Philip Irvin does, give the Reds, uh, you know, more data to work with. Um, with, you know, I mean, they've, they've got the, the track man system down in, in Louisville, but that doesn't really track the fielders like they they have the ability to do in the major leagues. There, there's a secondary system that the major league teams have right. to give them better defensive data. Um 
you know, maybe if that's something they want to see, just to, you know, put it in their minds, kind of like, you know, hey, this is what he can or cannot do. Uh, I think that'll be very beneficial for the organization. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, again, something else that's in the mix. Going to be uh, another question as if we needed more questions about this team going into 2018. Uh, before we talk about uh, the guy that I really want to talk about with you today, and that's my guy Joey Votto, who's been on just an amazing run. I want to get to him, but you had a really interesting piece uh, at uh, RedsMinorLeagues.com. I would encourage everybody to go go read today uh, about Venezuela and about the situation there and some of the Venezuelan-born Reds and something creative the Reds are doing that I thought was uh, was pretty interesting. Why don't you just uh, give us a preview of what that uh, what that says and. Uh, because I thought it was something different. I was uh, interesting to read. Tell us about it. Well, if, if you're not if you're not been paying attention to world news over the past couple of years, things in Venezuela have gotten very very bad. Um, I mean, there there are people literally starving to death right now in Venezuela. They're having problems just getting enough food into the country to, to feed the citizens. Um, you know, there's there's problems with you know murdering, um, kidnappings. I mean, they're they're both skyrocketing in the country because I mean. As bad as it is to say, desperate times call for desperate measures, and there are people that they're doing anything that they possibly can to get money. Um, and you know, when when you get into situations like that, you know, higher profile people become targets. Um, you know, hospitals are struggling to have just simple medicines to treat patients. Um, you know, it, it's 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 very bad situation down there, and um, the the Reds kind of stepped up. And they, they told all of their Venezuelan players that are here stateside. Um, I, I'm assuming it's just the minor league guys, although they may have extended to the major league guys. Um, although I would doubt it just because they, they do make enough money that they probably don't need this kind of assistance. But um, the, the Reds said that they would be willing to um, help out with housing uh, for any of their Venezuelan players who are stateside if they would like to stay in the United States rather than travel back to Venezuela during the off season, um, as long as they were able to get their visas uh, in, in proper working order, um, because obviously as non-United States citizens, they, they do need, um, you know, permission from the governments to stay in the country when they uh, technically aren't working, so to speak, for the Reds, which they aren't during the off season. Um, but I, I, that's, that's a very big thing for the Reds, and I, I think it's a great thing, because the minor league guys, realistically, I, it, it does depend on which level you're at, but let's just take a guy who plays in Dayton. He makes thirteen hundred to thirteen hundred and fifty dollars a month. He can't save up money to try and stay here in the off season and pay for housing. Like that, that's just it's it's not feasible, uh, given it the low amount of money that they do make. Um, and so for the Reds to step up and basically say, "Hey, we we will help support you and do what we can to you know basically keep you safe if if that's something you're concerned about." Um, I, I I think that was a very good move by the Reds. Um, and it was something that I was very happy to hear and write about. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was uh, good to see the Reds step up, step up to the plate. I, you know, I don't have a whole lot to say about that, other than to just encourage everyone to go read that piece because it was interesting. Um, I, I think the reason I'm not going to say too much is I think there are very, uh, there are reasons for what's happened in Venezuela, and it's heartbreaking, and uh, it's very specific reasons, that, and it could have been avoided. That I just I'm not going to get into. I have some opinions about it, but. Um, it's not the fault of any of these guys that are here trying to make it in the big leagues. And it's just a, it's a tough situation with families back home and, and good to see the Reds doing what they can do. Go ahead. Some else you want to add? Oh, yeah. I was just going to, the Reds are not the only team that are trying something similar to this. Um, 
there's a great website out there if anybody listening to this is interested in the Pittsburgh Pirates, which I, I doubt there's many of you, but if, if you are, there's a great site. Um, now, it is a subscription-only based website, but it's called Pirate, Pirates Prospects. And they, they had a – or they started a similar series on their players in Venezuela – uh, and kind of what's been going on. And I, I talked with one of the guys at their site, and the, the Pirates are doing something similar to this um, to try and help out their their minor league guys as well. Um, now, if, if you are interested in more information about that, the Venezuelan series is running on their site for free, so you don't need a subscription to read that. So if that is something that you're interested in seeing, um, they, and they go into a lot more depth than I did. Um, they, they, they've talked to players both at the major league and minor league level, um, and, and how it's affecting, you know, just daily operations for these guys before they get on the field. Um, you know, just how it's affecting, you know, their personal lives. And uh, it, it's a very good read. So if that is something you're interested in, I, I highly recommend going to piratesprospects.com uh, and checking out their stuff on, on the Venezuelan um, situation and, and, and just what the players are saying about it. Uh, yes, absolutely. Could not agree more. Um, let's move back to the uh, the Cincinnati Reds. And one Joey Votto. Have you heard of this guy, Joey Votto? Once or twice. People tell me he's he's, he's an okay hitter. Oh. Um, I mean, I I don't I don't watch him too often. Um, but yeah, I, I've heard some good things. Oh, he's amazing. He's fantastic. He's having an incredible season once again this year at age thirty three. Guy's not aging at all. Leading the league in on base percentage. Leading the league in OPS. Um, you know, hitting three fifteen, four forty seven on base percentage, five ninety seven slugging. Uh, before today, and that he got on base three times today, actually, now that I think about it. Uh, 30, 32 home runs. I mean, this guy is just uh, insanely good and seems to be really locked in right now. Votto, of course, if you've been paying attention, you'll already know this, but uh, he just had his streak broken this week of consecutive games getting on base at least twice. He uh, got on base 20 straight games. Uh, in 20 straight games, he got on base at least twice per game. Ted Williams has the all-time record at 21. Votto tied a couple of guys named Barry Bonds and Pete Rose for uh, number two in that uh, list. Greatest streaks all time in big league history. Uh, are we ever going to see? I, I'm of the opinion that we're very likely never going to see a player like Joey Votto in a Reds uniform again. What do you think, Doug? Um, I, I'm 33 years old, so I hope that I stick around long enough to see it again. But, I mean, we're talking about an all-time great hitter, so probably not. Um, but I, I am hopeful that someday before I go that I, I get to see another guy like this because, I mean, he he's the best hitter in the National League. Um, I mean, he might be the best hitter in baseball. I, I, I haven't exactly looked and checked out what all's going on in the American League, but if he's not, he's at least in the conversation, right? That's um, amazing. I mean, <laughs> the guy does everything well. I mean, you know, average. He gets on base better than just about anybody in baseball. The power's been incredible this year. I mean, even even though everybody's hitting for more power, he's still hitting for more power than just about anybody. Um, and, God, it's so fun to watch. I mean, he is just, he's so locked in right now. I mean, he has been for quite a while, but, I mean, here's the scary part, Chad. This isn't even his best season of his career. If we're going to go by OPS+, Plus, which is adjusted to the, the league per year based on what's going on, I mean, this this is only his third best. Or I'm sorry, this is fourth best season uh, coming into today. Now, yeah. you know, he had a pretty good day today, so maybe that's changed a little bit. But I mean, we're talking about a guy who, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, he he's he's good at baseball. Yeah, in his third best season, <laughs> he won the most yeah. valuable player award. 
in that in 2010. You know, and he has he's had two seasons better than his MVP year. Uh, if you just look at strictly at the offensive numbers this year, another thing that's interesting is his defensive numbers have bounced back. He's worked hard. He was bad defensively last year. Uh, all the metrics show that he's not a great defender. No first baseman are really very few. Um, but his defense has bounced back to respectable levels, whereas it was awful last year, and that's helped his overall value. Um, five and a half wins above replacement uh, coming into today, and just uh, and still six weeks left to go in the season. Just amazing. One thing that's interesting, interesting to me, Mark Sheldon at uh, MLB.com had a really interesting piece yesterday, I thought. We've always admired Votto's very unique ability to uh, manage the strike zone and you know, his philosophy of he's not – until there are two strikes, he's not going to swing at any pitch that he can't drive, basically. And uh, if he has to take a walk, he'll take a walk. He's just not going to go outside the zone very often. And he goes outside the zone less than anyone else in the majors. But what Sheldon's piece had, uh, had a few quotes uh, from some guys, not only just on the Reds but also on the Cubs, about how he helps – how Votto helps them. And, you know, Zach Cozart's having the best season of his career and he he gives Votto the credit. He said, basically, everything I'm doing this year, I've watched him. That's what I'm trying to implement into what I do. I've said it a thousand times, best hitter in the game. And then uh, Eugenio Suarez, also having his best season. Also, really, if you look into the numbers, he's really do- working hard and getting a lot better at commanding the strike zone. Strikeout-to-walk ratio is way up. Um, and he said, uh, Votto's helped me a lot. We talk a lot. He told me I have to learn what kind of hitter you are. That helped me a lot. I've done a good job, and I feel great, and, and give Votto credit. Uh, and I know that's a sort of what we might call an intangible, and you can't measure it. But uh, I would—you're seeing some of these guys on the Reds start to value walks a little more, to value the strike zone a little more. Even Jose Peraza in the second half of the season here—that's uh, sort of a, a, an unnamed, unquantifiable benefit to having Joey Votto. Really interesting, though, to hear some of his teammates say that he has that uh, impact on. Sounds like a captain of the should be. He should be the captain of the team to me. I I agree with that last statement wholeheartedly. Uh, I'm actually very surprised it hasn't happened yet. Uh, the Reds haven't had a captain for oh gosh, let's twelve years now, I think, uh, since Larkin retired. Yeah, Lark- uh, Larkin was the last. And I, you'd you'd think that with the contract Joey Votto's got, it's not like they're concerned about him leaving anytime soon. Um, so I, I've actually been surprised that that hasn't happened yet. But, you know, it, it's interesting that you bring up, you know, kind of what Joey Votto's done, even if it's just been guys kind of trying to emulate what he's been doing at the plate with the whole not swinging at strikes or not swinging at pitches you can't drive. You know, for the longest time, I, I always pointed out that Brandon Phillips hit strikes better than Joey Votto hit strikes. The problem was Brandon Phillips swung at a lot of non-strikes and made contact with them and did nothing at all with them. So he was never anywhere near as good of a hitter as Joey Votto was. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing what happens when guys swing at more strikes when you look at what Zach Cozart's doing, when you look at what Eugenio Suarez is doing. Um, if you look at what uh, Jose Peraz is doing here in the second half when he's really cut down on the amount of pitches he's swinging at outside of the strike zone. You know, not everybody's going to be Joey Votto. But <laughs> if they're going to try and be more like Joey Votto, especially in the approach aspect of it, I think that that's very big for just about anybody because, you know, most big leaguers can hit strikes. It's just choosing or, well, not choosing, but being able to identify the pitches that you can hit versus the ones you can't necessarily do damage with. And I I think that especially with somebody like Peraza, you know, he's a guy who could make contact on that pitch outside of the strike zone. But just being able to make contact with it didn't really do him any good. 
because it was a you know weak ground ball or a lazy fly ball that he would just hit. Um, so, I mean, hopefully this can continue. Um, we'll have to see what happens with Zach Cozart because his contract is up at the end of the year. But we're, we're definitely seeing some some good signs with Suarez all season long um, and with Peraza, especially here in the second half. Yeah, absolutely. And again, we're not ready to say that Peraza has really changed anything, although he has changed his stance and he's certainly uh, in a small sample size has improved uh, his uh, on his tendency to swing at balls outside the zone. You look at team captains, and I, if the Reds really believe they're on the precipice of being a competitive team next year and beyond, it seems like to me that in the offseason, and I intend to write something about this for Red League Nation uh, during the offseason, seems like that it will be an opportune time to hang that captain C on his jersey. Let him be the not just the uh, sort of acknowledged leader in the clubhouse, but officially, publicly. This guy is, is the leader of this team. You know, the Reds have only had four captains ever. It's not something that a lot of teams always do. But I can't imagine a better opportunity to have a captain when you got a guy who's a potential Hall of Famer, and he's really going to be surrounded by a bunch of kids, a bunch of young guys. Um, perfect opportunity to say, this is the guy we believe in, this is the guy we trust. And it may fall to whoever the next manager is to do that, or if Price is around next year to him. Uh, but, you know, the Reds have only had four captains ever. Can you name – you've already named one of them. Can you name the other three? I'm putting you on the I spot can, here. Yeah, you can put me on the spot all day. I, I, I can't name another single one. I, I would have to imagine that Pete Rose probably was one, but th- that's me literally just throwing out a name of somebody who was around forever who seemed like they had the uh, – the, the clout, so to speak, to be to be a team captain. Yes, Pete Rose, nineteen seventy to nineteen seventy eight. Dave Concepcion, you've heard of that guy? I, I've definitely heard of Dave Concepcion. Yes, eighty three to eighty eight. Concepcion was the captain the last uh, five seasons, six seasons of his career, and um, of course Larkin, ninety seven to two thousand four, and also Corey Patterson. No, Corey Patterson oh. was not a captain. Um, I might be. For, oh no, it was it was <laughs> it was Jake Dolbear. 1919 to 1924, the big first baseman for the uh, 1919 championship Reds. So four captains. It's long past time to put that C on uh, on Joey Votto's uniform. Just a special player, and it's been interesting to hear. I know Marty Brenneman gets a lot of uh, you know com- criticism from some quarters because he's been maybe unfairly harsh on Votto over the years. Have you noticed any this year? Marty is has been uniformly positive about uh, how good Joey is. And even I already even heard him say that he thinks he's the best pure hitter in the history of the Reds. Um, it's been interesting to see that uh, transformation a little bit. But he's seeing what we're all seeing. This guy is historically great. It's just I'm I'm astounded by Joey Votto. You're, you are not the only one. It, it seems that over the past week or so, um, I've seen several national writers kind of bring him up um, in, in the MVP conversation. You know, just because his team's not winning, just – with how incredible his year has been, you know, it, it seems that more and more people are starting to go, hey, uh, we need to really start paying attention to what's going on in Cincinnati. Yeah. Uh, Sports Illustrated even had a piece about Joey Votto Hall of Famer, you know, and uh, he's certainly aging well. If he continues to age like this, he's going to end up being, if he stays healthy and has an aging curve like he's showing us right now, he's liable to be a shoe-in as <laughs> a uh, Hall of Famer. I, I think the Sports Illustrated piece said he just needed to get uh, maybe 10 more wins of replacement, and he'd be in, uh, you know, He'd be better than Eddie Murray, for example, I think was the name they used. Uh, his case would be better than Eddie Murray's. And uh, if he doesn't get 10 more wins of a replacement in the next, you know, 
he's signed for the next 30 years or something. If he can't get 10 more wins above replacement, then I'd be surprised. No, I, I, I just, he has what, what, I, what I would call old people's, old person skills, old player skills. You know, what I, not just, I didn't make that up, but that's what they call. Uh, I, and I don't see the on base percentage, I don't see him falling off dramatically if he's healthy and he, you know, he works hard to keep himself in good shape. So we, we as, as much fun as it is right now, this might not be as close to the end as you would think for a 33 year old. It's, uh, it's exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned Cozart. I want to ask you about Zach Cozart because, uh, that's a, that's going to be the question going into the offseason as far as I'm concerned. Are you as astounded as I am that Zach Cozart has almost 400 uh, plate appearances this year, still hitting 312 with an on-base percentage over 400, 17 home runs, uh, slugging 580? I mean, who is this guy, and uh, how do we capture that uh, magic? And if he can do that for two, three more years, we, we'll, we'll sign him to a new contract. But... Uh, who is this Kozar? What's where did he come from? That, that that's a good question, and I, I wish I had that answer because I go to wherever they are and get more of them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, no. If, if you'd have asked me before the season if he had been doing any of those things, I mean, the one I'd have felt most comfortable with was 17 home runs. Although, right. in the amount of playing time, I still would have said no, probably not. Uh, but yeah, I mean, where he's at right now, pretty much across the board, it's it's significantly better than I feel anybody really thought he was going to be able to do. Uh, and, and that's not anything against Zach Cozart. It's just that's how good he's played this year. I mean, he's arguably been the best shortstop in all of Major League Baseball. Um, and you usually don't see that of guys who haven't always been in that conversation that are in their 30s at this point. Um, and you're, you're right. I, I think that's going to be the big question is what are the Reds going to do with Zach Cozart? Um, you know, they, they've got the option of making a qualifying offer to him if they don't want to try and extend him for a – several year deal um if, if they think that maybe he will test the free agent market and you know, maybe they're going to hedge their bets and try and get a draft pick if he goes and signs somewhere else um you know they, they they've said they were interested in extending him and I, I i don't disagree with that on the surface i think that it always comes down to how much money and how many years um so we'll, we'll see it's going to be real interesting to kind of uh gauge how serious they are about that um and I, I think that the guy we were just talking about, Jose Peraza, is going is to play into that a little bit. If he finishes out the season very strong, you know, maybe that changes their mind a little bit versus you know how he was performing, you know, through the middle of June where he was really really struggling and didn't look like he was making any sort of adjustments. Um, you know, that that kind of changes everything a little bit, doesn't it? It does. I think you're absolutely right. The Reds are going to have to make some decisions really soon um, before they can make the uh, you know uh, any kind of an offer to Cozart. And Peraza is going to play into that. The other question they're going to have to answer is, is uh, Nixon Zell going to be ready early next year? If so, do we want to move Suarez to short maybe? Maybe that's the answer to shortstop. So they're going to have to decide what they want to do uh, at shortstop for the next few years. And if they aren't sure, if they don't think Peraza can handle it, if they have other options regarding Suarez and Zell, uh, second base, uh, for example, you know, I don't know what they're thinking inside the organization. They don't have any other shortstops really ready to take over. If they, uh, you know, if Suarez can't handle it, um, or they don't want him to handle it, or they don't want to move him, uh, which would not be unreasonable as, good, as well as he's playing at third base. And if they don't think Peraza can handle it, I'm just, you know, I'm not sure what they do. I, that, that qualifying offer is going to be 17 or 18 million, but you know, I wouldn't want to sign Cozart for more than two years anyway whatever the money is, just because he's going to be 32 and he has this injury history. 
but you may consider. I, I hadn't. I've always sort of, you know, said no way they'll do make that qualifying offer. But you know, one year, just to let things sort of sort themselves out a little bit more, maybe you do make that offer. And uh, I think I think Cozart takes it if they make that offer. Frankly, uh, and if they don't, they'll still get a draft pick. But uh, what, what do you do right now? What do you do if you had to make the decision today? Do we make a qualifying offer to Zach Cozart? There's no possible way you could talk me into making him a qualifying offer. Um, I, I I don't think that in free agency he's going to get a contract for that's worth more than $50 million. And that's what separates you getting a draft pick after the first round versus after the second round. Uh, I'm not willing to risk $18.1 million for one season of Zach Cozart in a year where I'm not convinced that the team's going to win 90-plus games um, to possibly wind up with, the 77th overall pick in the draft. Um, it, it, it just, it's just not worth it for me. I think that that's too much money to risk for a team that, as much as I want to win 90-plus games, probably isn't going to win 90-plus games. Um, I, I think the money could be better spent, even if it's not spent necessarily in 2018, if they can just set that money aside and maybe use it in 2019 when they've got a better idea of exactly what their needs are going to be. Um I, I, I just – it's very tough for me to make sense of offering Zach Cozart that kind of deal. Yeah, put that money on the pile that's uh, dedicated to uh, the pitchers that they need, they need to get in this organization. On the other hand, if you can get – if maybe the market's soft for Cozart and you can get him for two years, maybe even three if it's extremely reasonable money. I've never been an advocate of signing a uh, 32-year-old shortstop to a, a, any kind of a long-term deal. I don't think I'd go more than two years, and I, I expect he'll get some kind of an offer for longer than that. I don't know what the money will be. Um, do you do you do it if you think you can get him for a reasonable price for two years or three years? My whole thing with Zach Cozart is I don't think that he should take the kind of offer that the Reds should make. Oh, I agree. Uh, just lo- looking at both sides, I unless Zach Cozart really, really loves it and wants to live in Cincinnati for some reason, and don't get me wrong, I love living in Cincinnati – but if somebody else is offering me millions of dollars more, I can leave Cincinnati for a couple years and come back later if I love it that much. Um, it, the two sides, they just don't seem to make sense for what both sides should be expecting um, You know, for the, the benefits of their side. You know, Zach Cozart's going to get free agency once in his entire life, and it's coming after the best season he's ever put up. Now, there, there are some injury concerns and the age concerns, but... This is really the only time he's ever going to be able to cash in and realistically make life-changing money for his family for the rest of his life and hopefully the rest of their lives after that. Um, and that, that, I mean, that's that's nothing, you know, against you know somebody trying to you know get their money, so to speak. I know that rubs some people the wrong way, um, but I, it, if I were him in that situation, I'm testing the market, and well, yeah. I, I wouldn't t- I wouldn't take a hometown discount, so to speak. In this situation. That's the term I was going to use. Uh, first of all, my, my supposition that the Reds might be able to get him for two or three years would be dependent, of course, on the injury concerns causing the market to be soft for him. Um, and if that were the case, he may want to even take a one-year deal uh, for something to try to maybe rebuild some value uh, or have more value next year and there'd be more suitors. But, no, I had several people on Twitter ask me, uh, what, do you think Cozart would take a hometown discount? And I said, he's an idiot if he does. Uh, you know, this is his last chance to sign a big time, a big contract. Now, we don't know how big that's going to be, but um, it's his last opportunity. R- realistically, 
maybe his last best opportunity. If he can sign a contract of any length right now, uh, you know, by the time that contract ends, he's going to be older, and uh, he's certainly not going to be the commodity he is right now. So he would be foolish to take a hometown discount. As much as we love the Cincinnati Reds, and as much as Zach Kozer, I'm sure, would love to finish his career with the Cincinnati Reds, um, he, it just it makes no sense whatsoever to you know take uh, some kind of a some kind of a break or give the Reds some kind of a break. It's a business. It's a business. If he's going to get paid, he has a family. He has a donkey to feed. And, you know, I don't fault him one bit. I, I hope he grabs every penny he can get. I would like to see that come from the Reds, although if it comes from the Reds, it likely means that the market's collapsed for him, and that's not uh, the, that's not good for Zach personally. But uh, I'm with you. Uh, the whole idea of a hometown discount just uh, selfishly, I'd, I'd love to see it. I, I, I like Zach Cozart. I like having him around the Reds. Good personality, good player. Been a really uh, outstanding defensive player for many years, and now has turned into a, a great hitter. Bring it on. Love that guy. But come on. Uh, <laughs> I can't expect him to take uh, what uh, Jose Peraz is going to get next year, you know. So. Yeah, I, 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 just just looking at it realistically, I, I think that the bottom market for Zach Cozart, unless he gets hurt between now and the end of the season, probably three years, $36 million. I mean, it. I, I don't think that that would be an outrageous price for the Reds to pay, but I also think that it wouldn't be the smartest price for the Reds to pay either, uh, given, given the amount of options that they do have in the middle infield. Um, you know, you mentioned the whole Sinzel Suarez thing. You know, you've got, what, 18,000 second basemen in the organization between AA, AAA, and the major leagues that you still don't really know who's going to wind up where. Um, that, that, that's a lot of money for a team that's rebuilding that probably isn't going to get their money back next year, just overall based on how the team is expected to perform. I tell you what we do know, though, is that similar to the center field conversation we just had, is Cozart, can, he can pick it at shortstop. He's got a great glove, and I don't see anyone mm-hmm. else other than uh, the, oh, the Cuban kid, Rodriguez, uh, yeah. that might have a glove uh, in this organization like Cozart has had. Although, again, he's aging. That's not, he's not going to get any better. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. Uh, even even with the aging thing, I'm not sure that anybody other than Alfredo Rodriguez is really in the conversation defensively with Zach Cozart over the next couple of years, even if he does decline. Uh, I think that he's got a significant advantage over any other shortstop option um, for, for the next couple of years, unless you know his leg injuries really, really take a turn for the worse over the next couple of seasons. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how the Reds – we'll get an idea of what the Reds think about Peraza and about – uh, Suarez or someone else's abilities to play shortstop long-term uh, are going to be when we see how they deal with, with Cozart. Either way, you know, uh, if that's it for Cozart in terms of his uh, career for, as a Red, it's been a fun career, you know, seven seven seasons, uh, six is the full-time shortstop, really. I, I still don't know how it happened. You know, 2014, it's this is no joke. It, it was his tw- age 28 season, and he was literally the worst-hitting starting shortstop in baseball. I mean, that's that's not hyperbole. He was the worst hitting at 221 average, 268 on base percentage, OPS plus of 60, uh, four home runs in over 500 plate appearances. And uh, the last two years, injury-filled, I guess, so to speak. But you saw a little bit of progress each year. You sort of saw a different type of hitter where if he'd been healthy all year, but nothing like what we've seen this year. And, and uh Maybe you want to still call 400 plate, almost 400 plate appearances, small sample size, and it certainly uh, dwarfs. The, it's dwarfed by the 2,400 plate appearances he got before this year. But 
this is a guy that's got an idea at the plate who has certainly improved, and it's been an interesting career arc, a career arc like you don't often see. How many players are the worst hitter at their position at age 28 and are all-stars at age 31? Not, not very many. Yeah, I can't, I can't imagine it happens too often. Uh, and now, to, let's be perfectly fair to Zach Cozart. That was easily the worst season he's ever had. Uh, not that he was great before that, but I mean it, that that was a hundred plus OPS point drop off versus his career before that. And since then, he he's been significantly better. And then this year, he's otherworldly. Um, so, so something definitely weird happened in that 2014 season. Um, but e- even even so, I, I don't think anybody could have seen what he turned into at age 31. I mean, he's I mean, he's got 47 walks and 57 strikeouts after being a guy who, I mean, he had questionable plate discipline for quite a while, um, you know, pretty much through his 20s. And, and now he's a guy who's almost walking as much as he strikes out. And, uh, well, I, everybody's hitting for more power. We, we keep coming back to that. But, um, you know, 580 slugging percentage, that's a 580 slugging percentage. There aren't many guys doing that, even with a juice baseball or whatever's going on. Absolutely. Okay, let me ask you this question, uh, since uh, the minor leagues are your bailiwick. Nick Senzel, we talked about him a lot last week. It's always fun to talk about Nick Senzel. When is Nick Senzel a Cincinnati Red for good? Well, I, I think that he could be today if they wanted to call him up. But I don't think that they will until – if if I had to put money on it, I, I'd honestly say June, uh, the first week of June um, next year. That, that will get them past the Super 2 status. Uh, which would keep him from getting four arbitration-eligible years instead of three. It'll save him a couple million dollars down the road, uh, similar to what happened with Jay Bruce when they first called him up. Um, now, if there were to be an injury kind of situation uh, early in the season, I, I don't think that they would hesitate to bring him up, assuming that you know he was performing well in AAA, which there's no reason to believe that he wouldn't, given his history and his pedigree. Um but I, I think that if everything goes according to the Reds' plan, they probably wouldn't call him up till the first week of June next year. I just don't have any clue how they're going to work out this infield situation. And uh, not that I'm concerned about it because there are a lot of good players for those spots and something will, something will work out. But I know what I would probably try to do. I'm really fascinated to find out what the Reds are going to do. I, I would have Sinzel working out of second base right now. Uh, I, that's that's my opinion. Have him working out. I mean, you can have him play in third base in the games, but I'd have him working out at second base every day uh, before the game and then next spring have him working out at second base. Uh, a little bit of versatility is not going to hurt. That's what I'd do. Or, you know, if the Reds think Suarez is that guy, I'd have him. Of course, Suarez can learn it. Suarez would be fine, I think. He's shown me that. But uh, I just, I'm really fascinated to see what the Reds are going to do about uh, second base, third base, shortstop. Uh, next year because the decisions that they make this offseason are going to largely govern what you would expect this infield to look like for you know maybe the next three to five years and so this is important stuff it is and i'm actually really surprised that we don't really have any clue what's going to happen right now i mean realistically going into next spring training they're they're going to have to have a plan and it, it seems that right now if they do they're not telling anybody about it uh you know Suarez is still playing third base every day, which, again, I don't have a problem with. But if that's going to be the case, then you do need to start playing Nick Senzel somewhere else and see if he can play second base. Um, if you're if you're contemplating playing Suarez at shortstop or second base, you need to start seeing if he can actually do that right now. Like, there is no better time than right now to figure out at the major league level if a. Eugenio Suarez can play another position, if that's going to be a plan that you're even slightly considering for next year. 
And the guy we've not talked about is a guy we talked about a lot this time last year. Is the guy they got for uh, Jay Bruce, Dilson Herrera. You've watched him play. And I do want to ask Jason Linden. He's our Louisville expert, uh, and I'd hope to have him on again this week. Uh, we'll definitely have him on next week because I wanted to ask him some of these questions as well. But you've watched uh, Dilson Herrera. You uh, sort of followed the follies of his injury, uh, you know, continuing injury career, injur- injury-filled career with the Reds. Uh, I thought Dilson Herrera might be that guy. He's got a bat, got a really good bat. Um not that he showed it all season long this year, uh, but again, injury after injury, especially that shoulder. Where, where does Dilson Herrera play in, in into this mix? Is he even still in this mix? I would think he is. I, I think he is. And he, I, I, he has I'm to be in the big leagues next year too, right? He's out of, it, out of it, options. As far, as far as I know, yes, he is out of options uh, next year. Or well, I guess he's out of options at the end of this year. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that defensively, he's only a second baseman. Um, and so if you're going to get Dilson Herrera into your everyday lineup, he's got to be a second baseman. Uh, he doesn't have the range uh, to play shortstop. And with the long history of shoulder problems, I'm not sure you want to put him at third base, you know, even to try it out. Um, I, I think the guy's going to hit. But if, you know, you've got a better option at second base, and it seems that the Reds might because I, I really do think that it's probably going to come down to Suarez or Senzel moving over to second base. Uh, for as much as I like Dilson Herrera, He's not as good as either one of those guys, uh, and I don't think that he's going to be as good as any of those guys in any aspect of the game. So, And what do you do with him? Because as you say, he's just a second baseman, and so he's not really going to be a great uh, option as a utility guy in the big leagues. Uh, he may be getting squeezed out here. Yeah, that, that's a really good question. Um, you know, as a utility guy, you know, maybe, maybe you can try and play him other places. I mean, to be fair, Scooter Jeanette really hadn't played any outfield before this year, and you know, if, if you're going to hit like Scooter Jeanette was hitting, you know, maybe you got to find a place for that. Um, so I, maybe that's something you want to try with Dilson Herrera if you believe the bat's going to play well enough. You know, see if he can play some left field in, in spring training where your arm doesn't matter as much. You know, you don't have to make that long throw, to, for, you know, from the corner and right field to third base like you, you know, put him out in left field. It's, it's much smaller or shorter throw. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that he is definitely – looking at the situation right now where he's on the outside looking in and he he's really going to have to step his game up. And it's unfortunate for him that the injuries kind of cost him that opportunity um, over the last year and a half. But you know, we, we've seen that with some of the pitchers too. Yeah. Uh, you know, like John Moscott, for example, you know, the guy came up two straight seasons and had season ending uh, arm injuries. You know, it was the prime time for a guy like that who, you know, doesn't project to be, you know, you know, in the same boat as a guy like Robert Stevenson, Amir Garrett, Cody, you know, not a really big arm guy, but he's a guy who could have gotten, you know, significant playing time in the major leagues had he been able to stay healthy. And injuries just took that opportunity away from him, and he may never get that again, unfortunately. Um, you know, he, he just guys get passed up, and sometimes that's how it works out. And, and that, that sucks, but, you know, I, I, that is what it is. And I, I think that, you know, we're, we're looking at Dilson Herrera maybe looking at that situation. Yeah, it's baseball. You know, and other guys that have passed up, Herrera possibly. Scooter Jeanette wasn't a red this time last year, and he's just 27 right now and has 20 home runs and has put together a really good season this year. I, you know, the Reds may may think he, for, at least for the near term, is the guy. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what they're thinking. Um, and what about a guy that we I talked about a couple of years ago that I was excited about as a prospect, and uh, I believe he's a shortstop from Stanford, but Alex Blandino sort of brought himself back into the conversation, hasn't he? What, what are your opinions on him? Yeah, I mean, last year was it, was it was tough for Alex. He he was injured and he played through some injuries and he didn't play well through them, but he he was on the field. Uh, this year he's really rebounded well. Um, I 
I, I think that he's taken steps forward with the bat. Um, you know, defensively, like you said, he was drafted as a shortstop. I, I still think that he's probably more of a third baseman or second baseman. If he's going to play third base, I don't think it's going to be an everyday kind of role. I, I don't think he's going to hit enough for that. But I definitely think he's put himself in the second base mix. Um, you know, uh, again, he, he's got an uphill battle to fight because he's he's not going to be as good as you know a guy like Suarez or Sinzel if they end up making that kind of move. But um, in the short term, you know, it's definitely an option. And you know, if if Suarez can handle shortstop, and that's a position the Reds want to take, I, I think that we're kind of looking at an interesting battle between a guy like Shed Long, um, Wilson right. Herrera, yeah. Scooter Jeanette, uh, and Alex Blandino at, at second base. The Reds definitely have plenty of options there. Um, it, it's it's just going to be kind of how do they want to play, you know, shortstop being the main concern because we don't really know if they're sold on a guy like Jose Peraza and then what they end up doing with the two guys that seem like very good options for third base when there's only really one available position. Yeah, it's a lot of a lot of good players in the mix and a lot of people are frustrated with the rebuild but you know the Reds have a bunch of options on the offensive side of the ball. It's how the pitching plays out that's going to be the question and I don't think any of us know how that's going to going to shake itself out. Uh, all right, Doug. That's that's about uh, that's about going to wrap it up. Before we go, have you seen any good movies lately? You and I have talked about some movies uh, recently on the on Twitter. I thought I'd ask you. Seen anything good lately? Uh, not movies, but I've actually been watching uh, Atypical on Netflix, which I, I've really enjoyed. I, I think I'm five five episodes in. Um, it's about a, a high school senior who has autism and just kind of the uh, the way that his life and his family's life is kind of been playing out and dealing with you know some of the struggles that come along with being an autistic person um you know going through high school and just the difficulties um you know dealing with you know blending in with you know i i guess more of a, a normal society uh it's it's been very very interesting for me and it seems like it's been getting good reviews but i, I really enjoyed it if you haven't checked it out and um you're you're into more television shows than movies uh, I, I'd highly suggest uh, giving it a watch. Interesting. Atypical on Netflix. Uh, you know, I watched a, uh, I'm going to mention two movies I've seen recently. Uh, one is on Netflix now streaming. I finally caught up with The Founder, which is uh, Michael Keaton stars as uh, Ray Kroc, the quote-unquote founder of McDonald's. Also has Nick Offerman, if you like Parks and Rec, who is really good as one of the McDonald brothers that started that chain. And it, it surprised me. It uh Michael Keaton, of course, is good in, in everything he's in. He was fantastic in Birdman uh, last year. And this one, The Founder, it's, it's worth a watch. I gave it, I'd probably say, four stars out of five. Um, sort of a fun watch. And he's not exactly a likable hero in this as he kind of uh, takes advantage of these McDonald brothers that came up with the concept of McDonald's but uh, turns it into the nationwide uh, chain that it was. Um, but that that's streaming for free on uh, – on well, not for free. you got to pay for Netflix. But if you have Netflix, it's streaming on there. Another movie I caught up with uh, that's one that was sort of one of my blind spots uh, as I'm trying to uh, get all these uh, classic movies that I've, I've missed. Have you ever seen The Deer Hunter by any chance? I, I have not, but I actually have seen The Founder, and I, I will also recommend seeing that. I, I thought it was a very good film. Yeah, I, I thought it was uh, it was more entertaining than I than I expected. You got to see The Deer Hunter, Doug. Uh, you're like me, I guess. That was one of mine. I just I don't know. I'd never caught up with it. It's uh, uh, Robert De Niro uh, stars in it. Um, Christopher Walken, Meryl Streep, and uh, it's basically about a group of friends in uh, uh, Pennsylvania steel mill town, and uh, they uh, enlisted in the Army, uh, go to Vietnam, and it's about how their lives were before and after 
well, and during Vietnam and how that changed their lives. De Niro, of course, is just uh, amazing. And Christopher Walken, I think, was nominated for an Academy Award, I read, uh, for that. And I think The Deer Hunter won Best Picture, but that's, I mean, that's a five-star movie. That movie is fantastic. If you're not caught up with The Deer Hunter, I recommend it. So there's our brief movie uh, <laughs> movie uh, podcast that we talked about a little bit. We'll give it a couple minutes here at the end of our uh, when we talk about the Reds. How about that? There we go. We, we can do that. <laughs> All right. Um, Doug, anything else you want to talk about about these old Cincinnati Reds? Well, I... I, I don't want to get into it too much, but I, I, I am curious to see what happens. They brought it up on the on the Reds broadcast today that both Tucker Barnhart and Stuart Turner may be hitting paternity leave at the exact same time at the end of the month. Uh, both of their wives are due to have children um, uh, the last day and the second to last day of the month. Um, and that might not be a problem, except that Devin Mezzarocco is on the disabled list because he broke his foot and he may be out for the year. Yeah, and they, I mean, the Reds don't have any other catchers on the 40-man roster. So they may have to make two 40-man roster moves to bring up catchers for literally four days um, and then just kind of you know, probably send those guys back through waivers uh, and, and try and sneak them back through and hope that nobody picks them up. Um, because you're not going to carry four or five catchers on your 40-man roster. No. Like that, that, that's just not going to happen. Uh, so I don't, I don't know. It's, it's something I was thinking about today. Like, what what are they going to do? How are they going to handle that situation if that's how it plays out? Well, and it may not play out like that. If they uh, depends on how they <laughs> when when these babies come. That's correct. Uh, and, and it's and it's interesting. Devin Mizarako was just out on paternity leave a couple weeks ago. Uh, so these catchers, I, you know, uh, somebody's have a talk with them. They need, to, <laughs> they need to space these children out a little more. They can control that, you know. Um, but I've got I've got the answer to the problem. There's one guy that needs to be probably should be the starting catcher anyway because there's nothing he cannot do, and that's Scooter Jeanette. He's a legend. Well, that would cover one spot, but you need a backup catcher. So who's going to be your backup catcher? Uh, Billy Hamilton, obviously. Oh, oh hey. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'll, I'll give you that one. You, you're right. Yeah, no, that Scooter and Billy, what a combination! I'm, I'm down to watch it. Right, it'll yeah. be fun. Well, it'd be interesting, no doubt. No, it is. It, you're right, though. That's going to be something uh, to, to watch because if both those guys have to go out, um, Stuart Turner's barely a, a, a major league catcher anyway, and the Reds are really thin at the at the higher levels anyway uh, at catcher. So, be interesting to see. Doug, uh, always good talking to you, buddy. You too. Uh, as, as long as we're talking Reds, I'm having a good time, even if they're not always playing the best. That's what we always say. Absolutely. You know, it's always fun. Somehow, even though they're they're tough to watch sometimes, it's always fun to talk about them. Uh, Doug's on Twitter at DougDirt24. I'm on uh, Twitter at uh, Dotson C, D-O-T-S-O-N-C. And you can find it at uh, Red Leg Nation uh, every day. At RedLegNation.com as well, where we're following the Reds uh, every day. And we're, uh, Doug, we're so happy, joins us as well to talk about the minor leagues at Red Leg Nation. In addition to his own site, which you should visit every single day as well, RedsMinorLeagues.com. Support him on Patreon. Go over there and check out the link to Patreon. Support Doug and the great work he's doing. Uh, subscribe to the podcast, if you would. iTunes, Stitcher, uh, wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe to us. Give us a rating. Uh, every rating. I hope you'll give us a good rating, but uh, either way, just giving us a rating and a review helps people find us, telling your friends. I say it every week. I'll say it again. If you like us, tell people about us. If you don't like us, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> Doug, we'll do this again soon, buddy. All right. Take care. For Doug uh, Gray, this is Chad Dotson saying so long, everyone. Thanks for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio from RedLegNation.com. Subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. And join us for discussion of all things Reds at RedLegNation.com. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week.